Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. So welcome back everyone to Dear Writer. Today we are on our 22nd episode and we have another author spotlight episode for you. Always exciting. Yeah. So we're here with Emma Savage today. Hi Emma. Hi. So Emma Savage is a fantasy writer based in Michigan. She writes soulful fantasy filled with mysticism, magic and mayhem. Uh, she has two published novels and two short stories, and I think she's currently working on the next installment in her series. So welcome, Emma. It's nice to have you here. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for having me. We love doing these interviews. It's always so interesting having a chat with different authors about their writing styles and their writing journeys. We enjoy doing it a lot. Definitely. So with that, I think we'll just dive right into our first question, which is how did you first get into writing? Was it a passion that you had when you were quite young or did you sort of pick it up later on in life? It's something I've always done. Storytelling and creating that is it was something that I did from a very early age. I wrote my first book when I was seven. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <With> illustrations. <laughs> was on notebook paper that I stapled together and Cute. drew out the illustrations and wrote the story. And <laughs> That's so awesome. So yeah, it's always been something that was an interest to me. How was your the first novel as a seven-year-old? Was it riveting? Have you read it since? Do you still have it? I don't know what happened to it. I do remember that it was about a purple people eater. Oh, amazing. Yes. <laughs> That's what it was about. And, and how that purple people eaters are nice and they're not really bad like people always made them out to be. And so oh. I wrote this entire story about this. It's so cute. It's so cute. The purple people eater. Did you say you had to illustrate it as well? I illustrated it. So that's amazing. I'm a much better writer than I am a uh, illustrator. <laughs> I can say that for a fact, but yeah. So I can't draw. So I get that. <laughs> yeah, I admire the skill. I don't have it. <laughs> I try, but then later I look at them and I'm like, mm, yeah, just stick to writing. <laughs> just stick to writing. Exactly. So at, at what point did you realize that writing was something you really wanted to pursue? Had you always taken it quite seriously or was there a moment you were like, actually, no, this is something that I can do? Well, I mean, it took a long time to get to that point because you're told at a young age that that isn't something that's just something frivolous to pursue, that you really can't make a living doing that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so you do these grown up adult things that you're supposed to do in order to make a living and to pay bills and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. So it was, I started really thinking about it in 2005. So I would have been 30 at that point. Mm -hmm. Okay. And really started thinking about how I might be able to pursue it, but I had no idea where to start. None whatsoever. Right. And social media back then was definitely not what it is today. Yeah. And so uh, like the IG community, the Instagram community now is so robust. There's so much information out there. People are always so very helpful, but it just wasn't there. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. in 2005. So I started out kind of wanting just to see it in print. My father had just passed away and I thought, you know, what am I, you know, pursuing things that I always wanted to pursue? And I'm like, why don't I just do it? So 
I didn't have any illusions that I wanted anybody to actually read it. I just wanted to see it in print just for my own satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then I started getting some feedback from people and they said, you know, this is actually a pretty good story. Still needs some work, but it's actually a pretty good story. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm like, like okay. okay, well, maybe I could actually do something with this. And so I I pursued finding a publisher to help me take this vision to another level. And I learned a lot through that process. I learned that maybe traditional publishing just isn't for me Mm -hmm. per se. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It is for, and I'm saying it is good. Some people, I mean, that is a great fit for them. For me, it wasn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mostly because of the marketing piece. I didn't know. I didn't really fit into a specific box as far as the genre that I write. It's not like a pure epic fantasy. It's not really like anything that I've really read per se. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really fit into this nice, neat marketing box. Yeah. And that was, that was a problem with the traditional publishing. And I didn't really want to change my story so much that it lost the essence of what it actually is. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, but I learned a lot from the traditional publishing tremendous amount of how to edit what the process is like you know what an isbn is um (laughs) (laughs) you know stuff like that how to get something copywritten and you know formatting and things of that nature i learned a lot but it just wasn't the best fit for me yeah which is how Mm -hmm. i ended up doing self-publishing later on were you working i guess full-time or wherever um, at the time I was when you decided to change. It. Yeah, I was actually uh, working as the executive director of a disability advocacy organization at the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which I loved. I was like, you would have been very busy. Yes, I, I worked a lot. I was definitely a workaholic. So I worked 60 plus hours a week doing that. And then I really didn't have a social life. So I would just go home and I'd write. And that's what I would do. Yeah. And I was happy with that. So what would your life look like now? Like, are you just writing or are you doing sort of part-time work or? I am doing part-time work. Part of that is because of my diagnosis of lupus back in 2009. So I was not able to work full-time because of my illness. And I had to um, make a lot of adjustments. There were some medications I was taking that made it very difficult for me to get back into writing the way that I I like to write. Mm -hmm. I was still able to edit, (laughs) but you know, you got to make new material too. But yeah, um, Yeah. um, I was having a hard time with that for a long time. And that was really, really a dark point. Imagine energy levels would be hard to sort of maintain and trying to create you know, it takes so much out of you, even just usually when you're creating something that I can imagine energy levels would be like a major factor. Yeah. Yeah. It took a long time. And then about 2018, I, you know, things started to calm down. My illness went into what's called a quiescent period where it's, I still have lupus. It's just not active. Yeah. And that's when it really started. I'm like, okay, I'm getting back into this. I feel better. I feel like I can, you know, really put the energy into this and I really got back into it. So I do only work part-time. I work part-time at a, uh, fabric store which is my other passion is working with fabric and creating things that way I actually created a cosplay of one of my characters last Halloween so cool um, I do love doing costume design and, and costume design is amazing way to really 
manifest the, the things that I've written into something that's more of a physical aspect of that. Mm. Do you find that your passion for for fabric and creating these costumes and these works of art through fabric, does that give you inspiration for your books as well? Definitely. I think so too. I think so very much. One's more of like an early medieval period. And then the other timeline in my novels are like stone age, prehistoric type of uh, timeline. Kind of conceptualizing what that might look like is been really interesting. I was going to say that's a very interesting time period to have a novel set in, which is really cool. Well, it's a creation story. I wanted to start, you know, in a place where it's fresh and new and not an established type of timeline, like a lot of novels do, which is fine. But I, I just wanted to do something different. Yeah, we definitely understand that. I mean, we're writing one that's primarily set in 395 BC, so it's a little bit different. That's cool. I want to read that. <laughs> Yeah, an ancient Greece novel is sort of what we're doing, but out of the usual time period for them. Yes, I love reading things that are outside of the normal, traditional medieval time periods. Yeah. So I think I find them so interesting in how people conceptualize it. I think there's just so, so much to learn as well from different time periods, you know. And do you think that, oh, we're so far advanced now, but then you look back then and actually they did have quite complex systems for things, even like way back when. And you're like, wow, you know, we think we've come a long way, but maybe it's not as far as what we thought. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So that's quite interesting. So I was going to ask you, what does a typical day look like for you writing-wise? Do you try and devote a certain portion of your time every day to writing activities or you kind of go with the flow like when inspiration strikes you just write oh no I'm I'm a very disciplined person with writing I am a night owl so my husband is a morning person so he gets up like super early like 3 30 unclock godly hour I it's really early <laughs> so that's kind of when he does his thing is early in the morning and then I get up probably ideally would be about eight o'clock but I stay up till midnight, one o'clock in the morning. So I'll start probably 10 o'clock at night getting into my routine. Doing at that point, like right now, I'm going through for Camp Nano coming up in April. I'm reading through the material to get myself re-familiar with it. So I'm going through doing some light revisions and things like that, making sure that the story is consistent and, and ready to go so that I can start drafting, mm-hmm. getting my drafting done. So for nano, uh, you need to do at least 1600 words every day. So I can either break that up into two sessions where I'm doing at least 800 words each session, which takes about 30 minutes for me to write 800 words, or I can do it all in an hour session and get my words in order to meet my goal. My goodness. Oh, how fast (laughs) I can type. (laughs) That's the main thing. How fast can you type? And I just get into it and I get in the flow. And I know that I can get this many words done down in this period of time. And then the rest of the time, all throughout the entire day, I'm just thinking about how I'm going to do when I sit down at that time. So I'm just kind of percolating and marinating ideas in the back of my head right. all before I go sit down at night. 
And that's how that's how I work. Goodness. <laughs> if only I could write that many words a day. Yeah, and there's some people who do an insane amount. They'll do like seven thousand <laughs> or ten thousand a day. I'm like, how are you even doing that? I have no idea how they manage and that. Your fingers still work so much, so many words. I don't know. I could like, even type that fast. <laughs> No, I feel like, oh, I need a rest. <laughs> because I took keyboarding class in high school. I am so grateful I took that my sophomore year in high school. And I said, I'm so grateful I can type that fast oh because gosh. I don't know what I would do if I had to hunt, <laughs> you know, my letters every time I'm trying to write. I just, my thoughts wouldn't be able to, would be so much faster than what my fingers could do. I'm such a perfectionist that when... If I type something that's wrong, rather than just dealing with it later, I have to backspace and then retype it. So that makes me quite a bit slower. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not quite there. No. Yeah, I'll go along. I'll just leave it and go back to it and get it later. I also cannot go. I I just can't leave things either. (laughs) I really need to get better. Even just sentences. I'm like, oh, the sentence doesn't sound perfect. Let me spend 10 minutes on it. Yeah, if you're an eternal editor, I learned that because I, the first two novels took so long because I would do it that way, go back and edit as I was drafting. And Nano just totally took that out of me because you can't, if you're going to meet your word count, you cannot be editing while you're trying to draft. You're not going to get the words that you need if you're doing that constantly. And this third novel that I, I'm, it's in betas right now. But this third one, it only took me eight months to draft that entire novel. And that was over 100,000 words. Yeah, that's good. That's quick. Now, I wrote more than that. (laughs) But it took me eight months. And I was like amazed. I'm like, holy cow. I'm never doing this in a different way ever again. This is the way I'm going to be doing it from now on. That's awesome. Maybe we need to try it, Sarah. (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to say, I'm speaking about your first few novels. Do you want to give us... A little bit of an idea about what your series is about. It's an epic novel that has your classic good versus evil kind of uh, trope in there. But essentially what it is, it's about uh, these people, they have a direct line into the creator. And the Gita in this particular time are all but extinct due to a genocide by this king. And this king has acquired a natural powers from Etevin, mm-hmm. who's known as the evil one. And so the Gita, the lady, is sent by the creator out of the hands of the king who wants him killed. And the reason why he wants him killed is that he will take down the king and his entire structure. And so he wants him dead. So the lady's going to get him and deliver him out of Sadat until he grows to an age where he can come back and fulfill the prophecy. So as she's doing this, she's telling the story about the very first Gidot, which is Menkos, all the way back to the very first day that humans had arrived on Georgia. So it's a creation story. And it talks about how Menkos deals with Etevin, because Etevin has been around a very long time. And so this boy learns who he is through the story of Menkos. And that's essentially the first book. It sounds really cool. Yeah. I I really like the idea of having the creation story mixed in with it. Started with the creation story and then how this affects, you know, a later timeline. That's kind of what I was going for. I like that. It's really cool. It's quite different as well. Yeah. 
like having something so like far reaching to impact your story would make quite be quite interesting I love having multiple layers to things (laughs) so I really gravitated toward that and that's why I was having such a hard time figuring out how to market this so it's a little bit different so the second novel starts out with two different main characters that were introduced in the first novel and so the main timeline takes place five years later and it follows Kefa. and Kefa, we meet Kefa at the end of book one and I not going to say a whole lot about her, but yeah. she's got a definite yeah. story. You're like, she's interesting. Yeah, she has a bit of a secret. And nobody knows the secret except the lady. And so she go back home someday to Sadat and to deal with her father. So the lady gives her this magically enhanced book that tells the story of Falana, who is from the creation time period. And it tells about Falana's story and how she had become the leader of the people at the beginning. And so she's reading through the story and what her role is in the present timeline and her part in the prophecy. And so we go through Kefa's story and figure out what her part is in the whole thing, going to go back to uh, Sadat and deal with her father. And that's the second one. They sound so interesting. Are they kind of, sorry, I'm trying to think of the right words for this. Um, are they sort of mirrored in the creation story? So you get this like foreboding sort of sense throughout the whole novel. That's kind of what I, that sounds like, which could be quite cool. Repeat that one more time. Does, because you said that they, they look back or have this like prophecy type thing that they're reading. So is your story underpinned by like a sort of sense of foreboding about like what could happen to them based on things from the past? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I like books that have that kind of, you know, that feel through it where you're like, (laughs) oh, (laughs) this is coming. We're building to something big. Yeah. Definitely. Each timeline kind of has their own struggles and triumphs. And, you know, you you really get involved with the uh, prehistoric timeline and kind of their struggle and how they're dealing with Etevin. And then it's also kind of informing this later timeline that, yeah, we're building to something pretty big. And all of that we've learned from the past is going to be used in order for them to defeat Etevin in the future. I like the whole sort of multiple stories that you've got going on which sound like it, it could make it really three-dimensional and keep the readers really engaged throughout rather than, you know, just following one storyline the whole way through. Like, as you said, with the layers, I think it gives it more depth than what you could achieve with just like one storyline. Yeah, which the Panion series that I'm working on, which is adding yet another layer to the entire yeah. universe. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's really cool. We also quite enjoy multiple storylines going on in the one book. It makes it very fun to write. The more complex it is, the more interested I am and the more I enjoy it. So I know there's people out there like me who enjoy those kinds of stories. And Yeah. Is there any particular authors that sort of inspire your writing? The main one is Madeline LaEngle, and she's the one that wrote A Wrinkle Mm. in Time. But Many Waters is the one that really drew me into how brilliant she actually is. And Many Waters is a Noah's Ark retelling, which is why I got interested in the whole creation story aspect of everything and aging in a different timeline than the the traditional uh, timeline. She just, 
I wish she was still alive because I would love to sit down and pick her brain. Just so inspiring. And she blended science fiction and fantasy together in such a beautifully artistic way. It's just, I can't say enough <laughs> nice things about her. She's just, she's just my inspiration uh, for how I try to approach things. So you've made a good case to read those two books. I haven't read A Wrinkle in Time or, and I hadn't heard of, you say, Many Waters. Well, she she wrote a quintet and she's written several books, but that one's the, called the Time Quintet. So it's, you know, there's a lot of time travel involved and going back and forth between early time, modern time period. And you're dealing with different science concepts and mysticism and philosophy. And it's just, yeah, it's really layered it's layered (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those complex layered pieces that every time you read it you find something new to gravitate to you know what I read as a kid what I took from it as a kid is way different from what I take from Mm -hmm. it now and uh yeah there's a lot of really fantastic quotes that come out of that book so if you look up Madeline Lingle quotes you'll see a lot of them and and it'll be like wow okay oh my gosh And she writes for children. So that's, that's the thing. But as an adult, you get all, so much out of it too. So that makes me really want to head on down to the library and be like, yes, because I've heard, obviously, like most people have heard of A Wrinkle in Time, especially, but I haven't read it either. So it's definitely one to put on more than one to put her books onto the reading list, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would. I was wanting to like briefly bring it back to your books again. Is, are they adult fiction? They are. Yeah, they are definitely not for kids. Okay, I was going to say, because they sound like quite weighty. They sound like very weighty topics. Yeah. So I wasn't entirely sure. The first sure, one, but... you probably yeah, could get away with like uh, high schoolers probably would be okay reading it. And it, uh, there wouldn't be anything really dark or disturbing in there that most kids probably haven't seen already. But like the second and the third, oof, no, I would not. let my kids yeah there's some weighty (laughs) topics in there as we as we get older as the Mm -hmm. as the characters get older so how many how many words are these because the you said the first two are published right yes so the first one is about a hundred thousand words give or take and the other one's probably closer to ninety five thousand good lengths yeah not a super large fantasy novel but it's, it's, yeah, I think it's a, it's a sweet spot. I, I think 300 pages yeah. is a pretty mm. good sweet spot. I think that's a good spot for books to be because when they get really long, sometimes it's a bit intimidating, but I think the hundred thousand word mark ish. Well, is and a good that's from a marketing standpoint too. Like when you actually, you know, 300 pages is probably right about the right price point for people. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise you get too mm-hmm. large then your your books are getting pretty pricey and as a new author people might not pick it up as quickly versus like 300 page book you know is priced a little bit that's a very good point to make and I also feel that it might be you know you might attract some new readers to the genre by having like a smaller book because I know fantasy is like usually massive and I've read like some sci-fi fantasy stuff but yeah it does make you think twice especially if you're I don't know in a bookstore or in a library and you pick it up off the shelf and you're like oh I don't know whether I have time for that at the moment yeah yeah exactly so that that was I mean some people are like yeah no problem I'll pick up a you know 500 600 page book and I'm not going to think twice about it 
but some folks, yeah, if they're not a typical fantasy reader, but they want to try it, you know, they, you know, 300 pages is probably going to be a little bit more, yeah, I can try that out and see if I like it kind of thing versus, you know, mm-hmm. having an, yeah, 600 pages yeah. is an investment. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. A lot of them are very much worth the investment though. I've read some really, you know, I've read The Phoenix Host by C.K. Miller, and that was like 600 pages, and it was a fantastic novel. Like, it didn't yeah. feel like 600 pages. It just read so well. Yes, yeah. So, and I know that some people... They're out there. You know, you get those whale readers who kind of prefer having really huge books because they go through them so fast. But I would say most people who have like a, a full-time yeah. job and all the rest would find it a little bit tricky to to get through that amount but you know each to their own <laughs> hey there's an audience for everybody so yes yeah, yeah. The, you just gotta know what your audience is like <laughs> yes. and then find them <laughs> how did you find the whole self-publishing um experience like i said i had it's this deep learning curve but the way mm-hmm. that the Instagram writing community is set up the Facebook groups out there. Now there's so many more resources available for people who want to self-publish to be able to get access to different information and, and to try things out. I found it once I got back into this back in 2018, so much easier because there's just so much more available to, to look into and so many more people to kind of use as a sounding board. Hey, what did you do for this? How did you find your editor? Uh, how about designing your cover? How did you do that? How'd you find this or that? What worked? What didn't work? Uh, how do you price your books? How do you market your books? There's just so much more out there to be able to help a person get to a point where they can have a nice polished mm-hmm. work to present to the to the world. So yeah, that's, social media has been instrumental. It really has been. Yeah, I even remember back in when we first started writing our books, um, we looked, we weren't ready to be published by a long, long shot. But, you know, we started looking at it because obviously at the time we thought we were. And things have changed so much since then. It's amazing, you know, 2008 being like, what? They really have. 13 years ago now. I'm really terrible at math. Excuse me if that's wrong. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> terrible at math. But yeah. I've gotten better. <laughs> it wasn't to start with, but I've gotten better. I just can't do it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so what's what's next for you? So are you working on your fourth one now or your fourth in your series? Or I have multiple things going at the same time. So like right now, my third novel in the series is with beta readers. So they're going through it and giving me feedback right now. So while that's happening, now I'm working on the, the um, science fiction companion series. So I'm starting with the first book of that and getting that drafted. Uh, so I hope to have that completely drafted by July. So yeah, I'll switch off. Like I, I, I'm a firm believer that you have to let your work rest mm-hmm. from time to time. So yeah. at least a month or two. So switching between projects is a good way of doing that. And once I go through Camp Nano in April, I'll let it rest for a couple months and then go back to working on the third book. So it's kind of like this pipeline that you're constantly filling and they're at different stages and you just got to know when to let something rest and then push 
that forward and then go back to the other one, push that forward yeah. uh, to the next stage so that you're always constantly working on something. And I think that helps prevent writer's block and mm. burnout and things like that when you're switching between projects. It helps keep your mind fresh. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, being able to switch from a sci-fi to a fantasy novel has actually been pretty good, I've found. Because yeah. <laughs> then you're working on a completely different genre. It's still within the same universe, you know, so everything's mm-hmm. kind of got touch points and I'm kind of linking things together and tying things together still, but it's a different genre. It's a different feel, different characters. So yeah, it's, it feels fresh. Yeah. Do you have a potential not release date, but time that you're hoping for your third book to be ready to ready to go? Yes. So my goal is to have this third novel published by the end of the year. That's my goal. Cool. So <laughs> I've got people waiting <laughs> to know what happens next. So I've got to deliver and I really want to deliver. So, yeah. so that's a great place to be in. Yes. Yes, definitely. Success to me right now looks like a small group of devoted readers that really want to know what happens next. And so I feel like I'm succeeding there. I think that's all you can ask for. Yeah. Really. It's all, it's all you want. You want people to really like your story yeah. and then just be yeah. like waiting to hear what happens next. Yeah. So it sounds really great. How long do we have, Sarah? I wasn't timing. I think we're probably just about ready to wrap this up unless you had. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about, Emma? Or? Um, no, I think I've covered it all. Other than my short story, I'm working on this short story that I drafted. I'm letting it rest right now, but I, I'm going to have that one published in October. Oh, exciting. So I usually do an anthology, participate in an anthology, and they do one every Halloween. So since this one's more of a, let's call it grim dark, <laughs> definitely dark. I love dark stuff. <laughs> grim dark, I like it. Yeah. So yeah, the, the novels aren't quite that dark but the short stories tend to go that way I don't know why but they <laughs> dark do it's fine so <laughs> we're just gonna go with it and that's funny yeah so they end up in a like a Halloween anthology so every October I plan on and I have like I don't know four more planned after that so we'll see and just put one out every year eventually I'll just compile all those into my own anthology and and have that published that's on Amazon cool. I think short stories is something that I'd like to get into more, but I'm not very good at them. So. <laughs> I wasn't either. I was not convinced. I prefer long form, but what I use the short stories for is to flesh out those little backstory things that I don't have time for or isn't part of the core story of the novel. That's a good idea. And then I take them and mm-hmm. I flesh them out. So that has been working really well. And that that makes me happy because it's still kind of connecting to mm-hmm. the novels, but it's not, it's like its own standalone story that I can just kind of hone in on a particular piece that I didn't get to spend time on. How, how long are your short stories out of curiosity? Uh, I usually try to keep them under 10,000 words. Okay. That's, so that's yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, 5,000 to 10,000. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't write short stories. <laughs> I didn't either, but now I'm I do. Too long-winded, way too long-winded. I need to practice. Maybe I should try again. I didn't either, and apparently I write them now. I tried writing one for a competition, <laughs> and they wanted like two thousand five hundred words, I think it was, or 
And I found that a struggle. <laughs> oh God, I don't know if I could do it that. I don't think I could do it that short. <laughs> it's like, ooh. <laughs> it's like shorter than one of our chapters. I would. I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My chapters are not that short. Yeah. Ours are, ours are <laughs> usually around the three to 4,000 mark. <laughs> but see, that's not bad. So you just find a contest that, you know, fits your word count. Yeah, yeah. And go with that. <laughs> Find a longer one. Yeah, find a longer one. Too short. Move on. (laughs) Well, that's all I've got. Ah, okay. That's all right. I was going to say, how can people get a hold of you if they want to find out more about you or even find your book? You can find my novels on Amazon.com. So that's where I primarily publish at this point. Looking to expand that. Mm -hmm. But for right now, it's Amazon.com. You can also find me on Instagram at ma-savage or on twitter same handle mm-hmm. or on facebook which is ma.savage cool so either one of those i love interacting with people so please feel free to message me comment on my posts engage i'm i'm happy to do that i love doing that so it is very fun I like networking with people when chatting to them yeah yeah there's this one person that's really into world building so I'll talk about world building all day long (laughs) it's my favorite thing to do so yeah well thank you very very much for coming on our show today we've had such an interesting conversation with you learning all about your sci-fi slash fantasy creation novels which sounds super interesting I like that. I like that designation. I might have to steal that one. Sci-fi slash fantasy (laughs) slash creation. Okay. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. So if anyone else wants to be on an author spotlight like Emma has just done, uh, feel free to contact us on lindersoncreations.com. Under the podcast tab, you'll find the Be Featured on Dear Writer and click on that it'll take you to a form to fill out just to help us know a little bit more about you and yeah what are we talking about next time Ashley so our next episode is one of our talking shop episodes where we chat about the books we're currently reading or podcasts that we're listening to to help us better our writing craft but also a bit of a chat about what we're reading just for fun yeah and so um also if you wanted to get a hold of us again Aside from the website, we also have Linderson Creations on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> and yeah, if you liked this episode, then please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on whatever podcatcher you use. And happy writing, everyone. <laughs>